0: Good to see some familiar faces, see people from different areas of my life that I know. I've got all these compartments, I've got my ministry life, it was great worshipping with my brother Charles there this morning, and uh, I see some people like jiu that were out as well, uh, I'm I involved in that as well, but uh, anyway, I am here to represent Answers in Genesis today. If you're unfamiliar with our ministry, we are a Christian apologetics ministry which means our whole ministry is dedicated to helping Christians have answers for their faith. Like 1 Peter 3.15 says, we're to have answers for the hope that we have in Christ and be able to give answers to people when they ask us about why we believe the Christian faith, etc. If you're unfamiliar with the name Answers in Genesis, you might be familiar with the Creation Museum down in the United States in Kentucky. Fabulous exhibits there. I encourage you to get down there if you haven't already. Um, pretty well the only place on the planet where you can see biblical history laid out in a uh, museum format. And of course, now they've got the incredible Ark Encounter, the life-size Noah's Ark that you can go visit. And uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty spectacular. I encourage you to get down there. Um, Pastor Steve asked me to address uh, preaching the gospel or sharing your faith in this culture. And so that's what our talk's going to be about here this morning. And of course, we get our Our commands from Jesus, what we're supposed to be doing here, Mark 16 15. And he said to them, Go into the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. So we have our marching orders. I'm pretty sure if you're a Christian, you know about those marching orders. But of course, we're living in different times now than even uh, when I got saved, uh, you know, when I was 26. I'm 56 years old now. And so in the last 30 years, I've seen some changes. I'm sure you have too. um, Because in the parable here, we get, you know, the analogy of the good soil, the hard soil, the rocky soil, thorny soil, etc. And I would say in uh, years past in Canada, the further you go back in time, uh, the more plowed ground we we would have, you would say. Whereas in the home, uh, the Bible was was taught. Uh, people were going to church, even in schools. I can remember a time when I was going to school as a, as a very young uh, boy where they were uh, sharing... Uh, the the Lord's Prayer, and the next year I went, and all of a sudden they didn't do that anymore. So there used to be a lot of plowed ground, but the church today, we're kind of dealing with some rocky, thorny, hard soil out there sometimes when we go to share the gospel. Have you guys found that? I have. Um, And what we've seen is that Canada, over the last little while, has becoming increasingly less Christian every year. And, of course, it's not just Canada. Um, it's also uh, all of the other countries that we have, well, at least I've visited, like Great Britain. Went to visit them about eight years ago, did a speaking tour. And uh, I asked them, so do you find that, you know, Britain's becoming more or less Christian? And uh, this is the land of Wesley and Whitfield and Spurgeon and, you know, the, the great preachers of the past. And they said, no, we're, well, they're down to about 2%. Um, of their population goes to church on Sunday now. It's incredible. Canada's just behind that. Australia's the same. Uh, it's, it's quite similar to Canada, actually. When I visited there, I asked them the same question, and they said, you know, they just said, said the same answer with a funny funny accent. They speak kind of weird down there. But. Well, as a Canadian, you don't think you have an accent until you go, go to a place like Australia, and you're like, oh, maybe I do have an accent. And, of course, the United States is the same thing. Now, none of these countries were ever truly Christian countries, but we could say they were more Christianized in the past, and the United States has been touted as the greatest Christian nation that's ever been, right? More Christian churches, seminaries, TV shows, radio broadcasts, all that stuff. But we've gotten to a point now where we can definitely say that we are no longer anywhere near a Christianized country, right? And why is that? Why aren't people sharing their faith very effectively anymore? Well, I would dare say that when you want to talk to somebody about Jesus, they're going to have some other questions, aren't they? I mean, what's the first issue you're going to deal with if you try to share the gospel these days? I would dare say it's going to be some cultural issues, right? It's going to have to do with gender. It's going to have to do with abortion. It's going to have to do with uh, what, what is viewed as marriage, etc. Aren't those the issues, the hot topic issues you're going to get, get hit with? Now, if you're going to defend those issues from a biblical point of view, for example, take the issue of marriage, what should it be? What's the definition of marriage? Well, biblically, it's one man and one woman. You can quote Jesus saying, don't, you know, have you not read that in the beginning God created male and female, but what is Jesus quoting from? He's quoting from Genesis. God created man, God created woman. That's the definition of marriage biblically, okay? Of course, if you say that you believe in the book of Genesis as plainly written, what's going to happen in behind that? Genesis? I mean, come on, you believe God created one man and one woman? (laughs) Where'd all the races come from then? How come some people got dark skin, some people got light skin? You you believe God created as plainly written? What what are you talking about? We know evolution's a fact. That's science, right? Right? God didn't create kinds of creatures to reproduce according to their kinds. You know, one kind gradually morphed into a completely different kind, culminating in ape-like creatures to get bigger brains, and that's how we're here talking about it today. Don't you know science? Don't you know facts? How many people have ever heard this type of thing? Yeah, there's no way around it. Okay? But 1 Peter 3.15 says we're supposed to have answers. What about dinosaurs? How do you fit dinosaurs into your Bibles, Christians? See, these are all things that I would ask when I was a non-Christian. I did not grow up in a Christian home. My parents weren't Christians, okay? So by age 15, I was a pretty hardcore atheistic evolutionist. That's the way I would explain how we got here. Everybody has three big questions in life. Where do we come from? What's the meaning of life? What happens when you die? I already knew the answers to that. Where do we come from? Evolution. What's the meaning of life? There is no meaning to life, because we're just the result of a random chance cosmic explosion. So there can't be a meaning to life. And what happens when you die? Nothing. Fluke, farce, fodder. That's what they teach in our universities now. Where do you come from? It's a complete fluke. Meaning of life. It's a farce. You make it up as you go along. What happens when you die? Nothing. There's no accountability. You're not going to stand in front of a holy God when you die and give a, an account for your life. Ah. Huh. So that means what they're teaching in state-run schools is a system that tells you there's no judgment coming. Do you know how attractive that is to sinners? (laughs) They eat it up. And it's being taught as fact and science throughout our education system. And it's been taught that way for a long time now. So, you know, number one objection to the faith philosophically? Well, if you've got such a loving God, how come there's so much pain and suffering and death isn't that the number one philosophical question you would get right yeah well if you're running around telling people well maybe god used evolution to create right aren't the skeptics saying well what about evolutions this is science you know and if you just adopt their worldview if you answer the fool according to his folly and you say okay well maybe god used evolution to create so you're telling me that god used billions of years of death and suffering to create the world what a nice god you've got there and then the Christian's are like, yeah, that's right. And he said, he, he said it was very good at the end of the creation. You're not doing yourself a lot of favors, are you? Now, the skeptics have figured this out, folks. They've got it figured out down to the very gospel message itself. For example, a Darwin historian, Peter Bowler, an atheist, He says, if Christians accepted that humanity was the product of evolution, even assuming the process could be seen as an expression of the creator's will, then the whole idea of original sin would have to be reinterpreted. Far from falling from an original state of grace in the Garden of Eden, we've risen gradually from our animal origins. And if there was no sin from which we needed salvation, what was the purpose of Christ's agony on the cross? Do you you see how easily the atheist can articulate the argument? And yet many Christians, well, maybe God used evolution to create. Well, you're not going to do yourself a lot of favors trying to share the gospel there because they're just saying, oh, so you buy into my worldview? <laughs> I don't need God because I already know where, to, where we came from. See, in contradiction to this notion, Romans 1.20 says, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse You know what the Bible verse here just said? Everybody can know that God exists. Why? Because of what he created. The creation is proof of the creator. That's just common sense. So what we see in the world shouts creation. As a matter of fact, in the book of Job... 12, verses 7 to 9. But ask the beasts, and they will teach you. The birds of the heavens, and they will teach you. Or the bushes of the earth, and they will teach you. And the fish of the sea will declare to you. Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? The creation reveals there's a creator. I'll give you an example. Um, this is a plant you're looking at. <laughs> it's called a bee orchid. It's a called a bee orchid for obvious reasons, <laughs> right? Uh, not only is it shaped like a bee, it's... Uh, it's colored like a bee. And not only is it shaped and colored like a bee, it's also fuzzy like a bee. You know, bees are kind of fuzzy, bumblebees, right? Um, not only is it shaped, colored, and, and fuzzy like a bee, it also smells like a bee every now and then. Because it produces a pheromone that smells like a female bee in heat every now and then. Yeah. Now, how does this plant Reproduce. You know what the Bible says that God created creatures to reproduce according to their kinds. Ten times in the Bible. Do you know what that means? Reproduce according to your kind. It's very simple. Any farmers here? What do dog, What do dogs make? More dogs, right? What do cows make? More cows, right? What do people make? More more people. By the way, scientifically, has anyone ever observed anything other than that? No, no. Anybody here seen cats or dogs born? For real. Yeah. Okay. Was it cats or dogs? Both. Okay. <laughs> you got it down. So uh, let's say the dogs, right? Um, there was more than one pup. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So when she was about to give birth, cause you watched her give birth, right? Okay. Were you sitting there going, man, I wonder what's going to come out. <laughs> you weren't wondering that, right? No. Cause dogs make dogs. They reproduce according to their kind. There's variation. The puppies didn't all look the same, did they? No, there's variation. You can breed dogs, you can get Chihuahuas, you can get Great Danes, you can get teacup poodles. But what are they all? They're all dogs. That's not evolution, right? So scientifically, we're winning because no one's ever seen one thing. If you you believe that one kind of creature turned into another kind of creature over millions of years, I respect your faith. But don't call it science. (laughs) Science is based on observation, okay? Now, how do these plants reproduce according to their kind? Well, it's pretty cool, actually. Here's the schematic of a bee orchid, and um, you look on the left-hand side there. That's the labellum. That's the part that looks and feels and smells and, you know, colored like a female bee. That's the landing pad, so to speak. Now, we're going to keep it PG here this morning because we've got some kids. So just understand that these plants have both male and female parts. I've said? <laughs> okay. So the female part here, that's the stigma. But then you see the pollinia. See the thing on the right-hand side, that shaft with the seed in it there? See it sticking up on the left-hand side? So here's how this works. Um, Mr. Bee is flying along one day, right? And uh, he's like, oh, perfume. And he looks down, and he thinks he's seen a female bee. So he lands. And the way he mounts on the flower, his head comes into contact with that pollinia. Now, that pollinia is specially dev- designed so that it, it detaches, and it's got some glue, and it goes, and it sticks to his head. And he's like, man, what's her deal? And he, you know, he's like flying along. He's got this thing on his head. But not only is it designed to detach and glue to his head, it also bends down at a 90-degree angle. So he's got this weird chapeau he never had before, you know. And he's flying around. And, but, you know, guys, <laughs> one-track mind. So he's going, oh, look, another bee and he lands on what he thinks is another female bee, and that thing is perfectly designed to be shaped now to stick into the the female part, and you get more bee orchids. Evolve that. Guys, how does a plant with no eyes, no brain, how does it know how to shape itself like a bee? How does it know what colors to make itself in a specific area? It's not tactile. It's not feeling bees going, hey, bees are fuzzy. We should be fuzzy. It doesn't have a chemical kit. It's not sitting there going, oh, man, that smells like a skunk. Oh, perfect. It smells like a female bee in heat. As if it had something to compare it to. You can know God exists because of what he created. The evidence of the creator is everywhere. We do a lot of video production and stuff like that now and every now and then. I check the comments and I see these questions. What's the proof of God? Where, there's no proof of God. What, what would you say? And I'm like, how about the whole creation? Because the entire creation will let you know that there's a creator. Take things like DNA complexity, for example. Everybody's familiar with DNA now? They call it the language of life. It's the world's most compact you know, information storage system. It literally is a coded language system and atheists have admitted it. Like Richard Dawkins, he says, yeah, it's a digital code. It's actually got four chemical letters. These four chemical letters get spelled out in three-letter words called codons. These words spell out all the genetic information for whatever creature you're talking about, people, horses, dogs, cats, whatever. So it, 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 it you know, has all this information about the construction, maintenance and you know, uh, of whatever creature you're talking about. Now, according to what we know about coded language systems, okay, um, where do they come from? I mean, we can make it a very simple example. Let's say you're walking down the beach one day, and you look down, and it says, I love you, scrawled in the sand. Would it be a logical conclusion to sit there and go, hey, look what the wind and the tide brought in? Would that be logical? No, that would be illogical. Because sand does not contain information. Just go outside, pick pick up some sand. Any information in the sand? What made the information? I mean, if I took a piece of chalk and I... Take a blackboard, right, and I write my name on the chalkboard. Where, where did the, where'd the information come from, guys? If I rub off all the chalk, is there any information in chalk? Where did the information come from then? Well, a hopefully intelligent mind, right? And DNA is the most sophisticated coded language system we've ever seen. And yet they look down the microscope and they say, oh, it just happened all by chance. That's not logical, folks. It's a logical conclusion to believe in the creator. But if you take a young person and you sit them in an indoctrination system from kindergarten all the way to grade 12 and you beat it out of them that there's a creator God, you have 70% of young people from Christian homes that go to public schools walk away from the faith. That number didn't change since the year 2000. So we need to keep these things in mind when we're talking about sharing the gospel. So what I find is very interesting is that when you're sharing the gospel with people and when I talk to my brothers and sisters who uh, you know, are excited about doing so, it's, it's usually when they come back from a mission trip, like a short-term mission trip. Have you ever talked to people in church, right? And you're like, hey Bob, how's it going? Oh man, it's going great. Well, that's different, so why is it going great? (laughs) Man, we just got back from Nicaragua, and we went on this mission trip, and man, it was so awesome. We were sharing the gospel, and people were so excited, and it was great. Oh, cool. Uh, How's it going with your uh, next-door neighbor here in Canada? Upper middle class, well-educated, went to university. Oh, you're not excited about sharing the gospel? That's a little tougher, isn't it? Why was it easier in Nicaragua, folks? Because they don't have an indoctrination center on every corner teaching people that there is no God. They're more open to the concept of God. And let's face it, you were probably doing some nice things down there. You brought some money. we were trying to help them out, et cetera, et cetera, right? It's a different culture. I want you to think about that. See, Luke 10.27 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. There are many Christians that love the Lord their God with their heart. And that's a great thing. But we're supposed to do it with our mind as well. That's apologetics. That's having an answer for your faith. Because it's not just young people that are being affected by the teaching of the story of evolution. And all of the other things that they teach contrary to the word of God. See, I'll give you an example from our past. And again, this was kind of like the turning point, I believe, in Canada. Where in the past we were much more Christianized and then all of a sudden things started to change. And I'll give you an example of Charles Templeton. Some of you may, have, may be familiar with Charles, right? Charles Templeton was once touted as the greatest evangelist uh, on the planet. He was actually bigger than Billy Graham at the time. And uh, he was uh, a, a brilliant speaker from what I've heard. I never listened to a, a, you know, one of his talks, of course. It's uh, quite a while ago. There's a picture of him, I think he was in New Brunswick. I think there were close to 30,000 people that attended um, this, this talk. And uh, Charles was a pretty brilliant guy and uh, a dynamic speaker, etc. And he was, um, you know, touring around. And there's a picture of him with Billy Graham and another traveling evangelist. And he was instrumental in starting the ministry Youth for Christ. You're probably familiar with that ministry. And he was also a writer. And here's the cover of the last book he ever wrote. It's called Farewell to God, My Reasons for Rejecting the Christian Faith. Now, Have you guys ever had someone come into youth group or they're coming to church and they start coming a little less and, you know, a little less and finally they just fade away? Have you ever wondered what was going on in their noggin? (laughs) You know, like, what's going on? I mean, sometimes you get a clue because you go over to Brother Bob's house, you know, he's just struggling with his face. And you see a a stack of National Geographic's with the Da Vinci codes up on top of it. And you're like, well, that might be a clue because he's feeding his brain with anti-God sentiment all the time. That's a healthy thing to do for a Christian um, or a professing Christian. <laughs> um, but see, in this example, we, we actually know what happened to Charles Templeton because he's confessed it. See, as a dynamic preacher, sometimes he'd get up and he wouldn't even reference his Bible sometimes. And so his peer group said, hey, Charles, you, you might want to get some learning, you know? <laughs> you might want to get some theological training. And so he went to Princeton University. And by the time he went to Princeton University, they were teaching evolution and millions of years as fact. And you can see from his own writings how that affected his brain because he just thought, well, this is what Genesis says, and here's what, what evolution teaches. And here's a quote here. He's talking to Billy Graham. Billy, it's simply not possible any longer to believe, for instance, the biblical account of creation. The world wasn't created over a period of days a few thousand years ago. It's evolved over millions of years. He said, I believe there's no supreme being with human attributes, no God in the biblical sense, but that all life is a result of timeless evolutionary forces over millions of years. Is it not foolish to close one's eyes to the reality that much of the Christian faith is simply impossible to accept as fact? Now, Charles passed away several years ago, and uh, about two weeks, two or three weeks before he died, I think it was, um, Lee Strobel. Some of you might be familiar with Strobel, the case for Creator, case for Christ. He was like a, a reporter that came to Christ uh, you know investigating Christ's resurrection and stuff like that. and he actually interviewed Strobel before he he died or, or sorry, Templeton before he died and all the way through the um, through the discussion, uh, Templeton was very argumentative, very negative, no, there is no God, the Bible's not true, all that kind of stuff. but towards the end. Of the conversation, Strobel was like, Well, okay, you've kind of, you know, you're going to pass away. He was ill. You know, you're going to die soon, so you've made your peace or whatever like that. What about Jesus? Very interesting. You read the transcript. Um, Strobel records that when asked about Christ, his voice softened. And then he said, He was the greatest human being who ever lived. He was a moral genius. His ethical sense was unique. He was the intrinsically wisest person I've ever encountered in my life or in my reading. His commitment was total and led to his own death, much to the detriment of the world. I adore him. Everything good I know. Everything decent I know. Everything pure I learned from Jesus. His voice cracking, he said, I miss him and burst into tears. And then he died, an apostate, And the word of God says, if you deny me before men, you get denied in eternity. Now, do you think that Templeton had a problem loving Jesus with his heart? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind. Now I know I'm going to walk out of here and all you theologians are going to jump on me and say, well, he didn't really love Jesus. I know, I know, I know. But do you see my point? Many people have no problem with the teaching of Jesus. But they've got intellectual problems, philosophical and scientific problems with just being able to accept the Bible. The message of the cross is very positive, but the cross of Christ does not stand alone in history. It's connected to and interrelated to events that occurred in the past and events that are going to occur in the future. And of course, in Answers in Genesis, we like to describe this with the seven C's of history. You may have seen this before. I saw a poster on your wall out there um, that had this, and that's the creation that God created a, a, a very good creation that sin and death entered when Adam fell. Okay, We were all in Adam when he fell. We're a corrupted race. That there was a catastrophe at the time of Noah's flood, which would account for all the rock layers and the dead things in there, the fossils. Uh, there was confusion at the Tower of Babel. That's why you've got the different people groups around the world. They're not different races. We're all one race, one blood. But you've got the variation there, just like you've got variations with all the animals. Dogs, cats, people, horses, etc. You've got Christ who came as a, you know, the babe in the manger, the Christmas story. You've got him willingly dying on the cross to pay the penalty for sin for those who put their faith and trust in him, and the fact that there's going to be a consummation. We all agree that some, at some point Jesus is coming back. I know there's a debate on when and how and all that stuff, but that's the full scope of biblical history. So you can't just talk to people about this without them figuring out it's connected to that. Now, I want to share with you from scripture an example of what I've been talking about. The way Canada used to be, the way Canada is today. And that relates to the other countries around the world as well. And if you want to get a little more detail, I would refer to you this book, Gospel Reset by Ken Ham. It's just a short, punchy uh, book. You can probably read it in uh, in an afternoon or two. Okay, And in the book... Ken makes this distinction of what we see the evangelists in the book of Acts doing in Acts 2 versus Acts 17. And two different evangelists and the way they approached sharing the gospel. And I want to relate that to our environment today so you may have a better understanding of what I think scripture is teaching us. Because I don't think God has abandoned us to the culture and what's going on right now and all the nonsense you see out there and just saying, well, figure it out yourselves. He's given us his word and he's given us some examples of how to process this because there's nothing new under the sun, folks. Okay? Now, based on this verse, 1 Corinthians 123, but we preach Christ crucified, that's what we preach. It's a stumbling block to the Jews and a folly to the Gentiles. There's a distinction here that's given right in scripture. Okay, Jews and Gentiles, we kind of get the idea, right? So, in the book of Acts, we'll meet our first actor here, and that's the Apostle Peter. Now we understand Peter, is, he's a fisherman, right? He's a, he's a layperson, and he's often got you know, two left feet, and one of them's sticking in his mouth. And, you know. But he loves the Lord, right? He denies him, but then he comes back to him and, feed my sheep, Peter, and, and, uh, and so on. And in this particular passage here in uh, Acts 2, Peter is speaking to the Jews. Remember, Jews, Gentiles. So we're talking about the Jews. And um, we'll read Acts 2, 22 to 23, Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and he says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Acts two twenty-four: God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Acts 2, 37 to 38. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What was the result of Peter's teaching? So those were, uh, who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Man, that's awesome, isn't it? You preach a message. First of all, you had an audience big enough that out of the thousands that were there, 3,000 of them came to Christ. Did you know in our past here in Canada, there would be traveling uh, preachers that would come around from, from town to town to town and have tent meetings, and people would invite their friends, and they'd actually go? And these days, you know, what's the big outreach program in most churches? We're gonna have a barbecue. Invite your friends. Are they showing up? No. They can get a free hot dog at Costco. Things have changed. It's not the same culture. So, now, we need to understand something. Peter was speaking to the Jews. In that seven seas of history panorama from beginning to end, from creation to consummation, what was the knowledge base that the Jews that he was speaking to had? Well, they would have had knowledge of who God was, Yahweh, right? They would have read the Old Testament or had it you know, spoken to them, they had that knowledge. They knew there was a creator God. They knew why there was sin and death in the world, and they knew there was a coming Messiah. They had all that down. They knew about the history, why there was different nations and people groups, and they were the chosen nation. It's all that stuff. So when Paul is preaching to them, they already have this foundational understanding of God, creation, sin, and death. And so what he did is he gave them upward from that from that foundation he gave them the knowledge of Jesus Christ crucified and raised from the dead so he added to the foundation they had he was able to fill it in okay and this made sense to many of them now some of them rejected we can talk about that but for those who did right so he built on this foundation and he gives them the understanding of who Jesus is now it was a stumbling block to many of them because of their understanding of how the Messiah was going to come. They expected that Jesus was going to come, right? He was going to set up his, his kingdom, or the Messiah was, boot out the Romans, you know, kind of like a knight on a white horse, dun, dah, dah, dah. and when he came humbly as a servant, that was a stumbling block to many of them. But we remember that the first converts were Jews, and they accepted Christ. Okay, so that's our exhibit A. Let's go to exhibit B here because we also want to talk talk about the Gentiles and the folly that Christ crucified was to them. So we zip to Acts 17, and we meet our next uh, interlocutor here, and that's the Apostle Paul, okay? Now, Paul's a different guy than Peter, right? He's like the intellectual of the New Testament. God uses Paul, inspires him to write a, a, a good chunk of the New Testament. He's the Jew of Jews. He's the Pharisee of Pharisees, right? He's taught at the feet of Gamaliel, right? Um, by this time, he's had his Damascus Road experience. He, he He's met Jesus, uh, etc. He's, he's converted, and he's this powerful tool in the hands of his creator, and he is sent to the Gentiles. He's sent to the Greeks. Now, Paul's first engagement with the Greeks, because it was his habit to go into the, the synagogues first, and then he went to the to the people out in the streets, right? And so when he talks to the Greeks, Acts 17, 18 records that some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with them. Now, who, who are these people? Epicurean, Stoic philosophers. Well, some of these folks would, would believe in a multi of gods, all sorts of different gods, right? The Roman gods, Ares, all these things. And some of them were atheists. They believed that, there was, you know, that from chaos came all these things, including the gods, etc., whatever. So they had all sorts of different worldviews, right? And it records that, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? They were just like, what's this guy talking about? He's just babbling. It just doesn't make any sense. Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Okay, well, what was Peter preaching? Jesus and the resurrection, so Paul's like, "Well, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm over here, I'm preaching this, but they're just like, "Well, this is foolishness. It doesn't make any sense. He's just babbling." Now, okay, why why could they not make any connection to any of this? Well, because what was their background knowledge of those seven seas of history? Nothing. They didn't have the Old Testament. They didn't know the one true God. They didn't know why sin and death was in the world. They didn't expect a coming Messiah. So it was just foolishness to them because this is what he told them. And yet, they were standing on a completely different foundation than what the Jews were. That's the distinction. It's just, well, this doesn't make any sense at all. Okay? So, it was just foolishness to them. Now, the Apostle Paul, obviously, was a pretty bright man, just on his own. But filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Paul gets a second kick at the can here. And uh, we see Paul kind of change some tactics And so he gets another shot at this. He goes up to the Areopagus, right? They just like to sit around and pontificate and deliberate and talk about philosophy and all this kind of stuff. So he goes up to Mars Hill and he gets another chance. Now, he preps before he does this. And he goes around and he visits and he finds this idol to an unknown God. And when he sits down with them, this is what he starts to talk to them about. He says, this God that you don't know, that's the one I want you guys to know about. Okay? Now, I want you to notice where Paul starts this time. Because he doesn't just preach Jesus and the resurrection. Where does he start? Ah, the God who made the world. He starts at creation. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all mankind life and breath and everything. Hmm, the creator. And he made from one man every nation of mankind. Where did you get that, that from? Genesis. One man, one woman, Adam, Eve, the mother of all the living. To live on the face of the earth, having determined a lot of periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and of Of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Okay. So where does Paul start this time? Right back here. And he goes all the way through. And this time, he gets a bit of a different result. He starts and says, well, let's start back here. Give you some background on this. What was the result? Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. Hmm. Do you know there have actually been um, Bible colleges, professors, pastors preach about Acts two and Acts seventeen, and actually denigrate Paul's attempts? They said, "Oh, he's just trying to get too sophisticated, and he should have just said, you know, preach Jesus, you know, Jesus saves. That's all he needed to do." Oh, you mean Jesus and the resurrection? That's what he did do the first time. And what was the result? What's this babbler talking about? The fact that he could go into a culture that had no knowledge, multi of gods, different ways of thinking, different worldviews, and actually some people got converted is astounding when you think about it. But he understood he had to do some works. Some, some work in order to get their minds to be able to understand this. Because the Jews knew God, they knew about sin, they knew about death, they just didn't know that Jesus was the savior. But the Greeks had no foundational knowledge. Now I want you to think about these two target groups, we'll call them, when we're trying to share the gospel, and then relate it to our country. Years ago, Canada, the gospel being shared quite commonly in schools, in homes, TV shows, all this kind of stuff. It was more of a, quote-unquote, Jewish culture. People would go to church even if they didn't believe in, in, in Jesus as Lord. They, they knew God, they had a belief in God, right? And that's why the gospel was so effective. They had that background knowledge. They read the Bible or heard some of the stories, or et cetera, et cetera. Um, I remember, even culturally, I, I remember one time of preaching um, up near Barrie. And this was several years ago now. So this woman's probably uh, gone on to glory, but she was, she was fairly old. She was probably 80 at the time I was chatting with her. And she said she remembered her dad used to have a store downtown Toronto when she was a little girl. And she remembers that at the end of the day, her dad, you know, she'd be helping and stuff like that. And he'd close the door. This is like Young Street or like <laughs> right downtown. And he'd lock the door. Put the key in his pocket. And you remember those old-timey movies where the, you know, the stores used to have those, those slanted um, shelving and all the food and the, like the, the fruit would be put on these things and they just, he, he, she said he'd take a, a tarp and put it on. This is on the main street in Toronto. And he'd just put a tarp over, you know, apples and all this stuff and go home. Would you do that today? No, because it wouldn't be 10 minutes before a bunch of punks came along, started kicking out the things and started throwing everything around. Why? Because the culture's changed. I remember my daughter, oldest daughter, in Guelph years ago, about 15, 20 years ago. She's at this thing. They're you know feeding the poor, like soup kitchen type thing. She gives this one young man her uh, his food, and then she says, "Hey, do you have a Bible?" And he goes, "What's a Bible?" I've actually told that story in churches and, you know, with a lot of uh, snow on the mountaintops kind of thing, and a lot of people go, oh, what, he didn't know what a Bible was? Why, why, why would he? Third generation non-Christian. You, you expect this culture to know what the Bible says and to have any concept of the morality that emanates from it? They don't even believe in God, a lot of them. This Generation Z is the most godless generation we've ever seen. We've never seen a generation with such a high degree of atheism. We aren't a Jewish culture anymore. We're more like a Greek culture. And if you're gonna communicate with the Greek culture, you're probably gonna have to do what Paul did because people don't understand what you're talking about. Hey, Jesus saves. Cool. (laughs) Jesus is a swear word. What does Jesus saves mean to somebody who has no background? <laughs> have you ever heard, like, a, an older Christian, you know, have you been bathed in the blood? The heck does that mean? If you're a non-Christian, and some, what does that mean to a non-Christian? Ba- what do you guys do in those churches? you cutting cutting chickens' heads off, or what are you doing? That is, uh, guys, I get it, okay? I'm a Christian. I understand. I have christ 's blood as a shield against the wrath of God. I get it. But that doesn't mean anything meaningful to someone with no Christian background. It just sounds weird. And I'll tell you what's happened is a lot of Christians seem weird to the culture. They're the bubble people. You know, they're really, I mean, they're nice to have as neighbors, you know. Yeah, you know, we got this couple next door and they're kind of kooky. They go to church all the time. They're always talking about the Bible and stuff. And You know, they just don't understand science because obviously science is disproven the Bible. But I mean, they're nice. You know, when my wife was sick, they told me they were going to pray for her and they gave her us a casserole and all that stuff. But man, they're just, <laughs> you know. Understand where the church is sitting right now in culture. Okay. So think about it. If you were called to a country other than this one, as a long-term missionary, what would you do? You would study the language, because you gotta communicate there, right? You gotta study their background, you gotta study what their major belief systems are, you gotta study their worldview, and then you're gonna position, you're not gonna change the gospel message. Paul got to the gospel, but he started at a different place because he figured out the audience and you would figure out their major number one belief system because you know you're going to go up against that belief system. So let's say you guys lived in a different country other than Canada, and then you had been sent to Canada. What's the number one worldview you have to contend with? The story of evolution. Undergirded by the concept of millions of years because it's a requirement for atheism. Do you understand that? All atheists have to believe in evolution and millions of years. Because if you don't believe in millions of years, you don't have time for evolution. And if you don't believe in evolution, you don't have a way to explain how you got here without God intellectually. That's what you're up against. So now, think back. Can you answer the questions of the day? What about dinosaurs? Where do they fit into the Bible? Where did Cain get his wife? why are there different races of people on the planet? What about carbon dating? What about distant starlight? What about all these things that keep getting thrown up as as objections? You should have answers, right? And continuing down this Peter message way of sharing the gospel isn't gonna cut it in this culture anymore. Anybody here um, work in construction? Yeah? Okay, so you obviously know how to build a house, right? I mean, the first thing you do is you... Build a roof, stick some walls under there, right? And get the foundation. I mean, it's silly when we say it like that, but think about the Bibles that are being handed out. Here's your Bible. No, that's not a Bible. It's a Gideon Bible. I'm not putting down the Gideons. They do great work. But you've just given me the New Testament Psalms and Proverbs. You've just given me the solution. I don't have the problem. You guys like watching, you know, movies halfway through, starting, you know, near the end? No. No doesn't make sense you want the setup you want the plot why is there death and suffering in the world why is there pain and suffering why do we see beauty in this world but at the same time we see death and tragedy and all these things where do you find out the answers genesis all christian doctrines directly or indirectly are founded in the book of genesis and yet many bible colleges and seminars now they they don't even hold to genesis as plainly written What we've got is we've got Greeks educating more Greeks right now. We've got Greek television, Greek internet, Greek books, Greek magazines, right? And now that's been turning our Jews into Greeks as well. Even the average person, well, you know, kind of believe in God and all that kind of stuff. Well, you go through that system, you're going to start considering yourself animals. And when you look at the result in culture today and you're puzzled as to what is going on with all the nonsense folks it's just a, 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 a it's just culture getting more consistent with itself if you say that there is no god and no creative norms no male no female i i was talking to a fellow a couple of months ago now who has his son in a public school somewhere around here because he lives around here And and his son came home to him and said, "Dad, there's a child in in another student in the school that identifies as a tree. And if any of the other students don't acknowledge that person as a tree, they get punished for it. And they're chastised. You're mean, but people aren't trees." You can't will yourself to be a tree. It's nonsense. There's another student in the school that describes themselves as a furry. I'm not really even sure what that is, but they have a litter box in the school for that person. A child is given access to a litter box By the way, we also live in a country where if you don't agree with that and you state it and challenge it publicly, you can get sent to jail. Because you're not a loving person. I'm sorry, they used to call that child abuse. Because you're abusing that person and you're not helping them with reality. And that's where we are. But if there is no God and there is no created norms and there is no right and wrong, and there isn't a distinction between all of these things, the diversity in creation, the unity and diversity. I mean, think, think about everybody wants to get to university it seems these days, right? Gotta get a good education, gotta get my degree, gotta to go to university. What is university, folks? It's studying the unity and diversity. That's what university is all about. So you go to university and you can study medicine or you can study um, you know, engineering or you can study philosophy, whatever you wanna do, right? What's the unifying factor? What used to be the unifying factor in the West in the the education system? The creator God of the Bible. What's the unifying concept now? Darwinian evolution. You see, so back then you would not administer an abortive drug because that child was created in the image of God. Today you got too many cats, too many dogs, too many kids, you just get rid of them. They're just animals. People are just getting consistent with what they've been taught, folks. That's all it is. And most Christians, they just, they can't understand how it would be possible that we got to where we are. I talk to people my age and older, they're just looking around at at the news and they're just like, I can't even believe it. I can't even believe I'm living in the same country that I was born in. They're just getting consistent, folks. So, you know, a lot of times when you're talking with somebody, because here's the thing, you know, people like to, to look at Christians sometimes because we have a different viewpoint because we look at the word of God and we know what it says and it's like, well, you're mean, you're hateful. You're not mean and hateful. When I'm looking at somebody with a different worldview and, I, and they tell me their worldview, I'm like, oh, perfect, okay, I know exactly why you believe that. If I, if I believe what you, you believed, I, would, I probably believe what you believe too. It's just a matter of worldviews. It's not a matter of being hateful or being mean or anything like that. It's like, oh, okay, so you, you presuppose the story of evolution and so that makes sense to me now why you believe this and why you believe that and why you have this view on abortion and this, it just makes sense, right? It's just a different pair of goggles, so to speak. I view the entire world through a lens called the Word of God, <laughs> right? And if you don't have that background, I used to have the different background. I used to world, view the world through a different lens. Atheistic evolution, and so that's how I interpreted the facts, same facts, different interpretation so sometimes when you're trying to share the gospel with people, what you really need to do is deal with concepts like naturalism, evolution, things like millions of years be able to give them answers, show them that you're you're credible intellectually you're not just some well, I just believe the Bible because I believe I mean that you should have a, a faith like you know childlike faith that's right, but we live in a culture now you notice that Paul could bring up the intellectual level when he needed to. And at other times, he just brought it down here because he became everything to everyone, did he not? Isn't that what he said? When I'm speaking to the Jews, I want to be like a Jew. And when I'm speaking to the Gentiles, I'm going to speak to them like Gentiles. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind. You may have to do a lot of plowing of ground before you get to the point where you can actually share the gospel effectively. With them. So, just to summarize what I've said here this morning and what the Answers in Genesis ministry is all about, we just had a cultural shift because of the change of what's been taught. Okay. In the early 1800s, the church all throughout the Western world was giving that message, that Peter message, because the entire Western world was based on the Word of God. There was that that foundational knowledge, right? And along came a message called millions of years because people didn't believe that bu- the world was millions of years. They understood that the global flood would have laid down all the rock layers with the fossils in it. That was the general consensus. But then this concept of slow deposition over millions of years, this, these kinds of things came along and it hit and The church was like, eh, you know, spider sense tingling, but didn't seem to attack the, uh, you know, the authority of Christ or, or, you know, his messiahship, anything like that. So that's just kind of a side issue. But once they had established the concept of millions of years, now they could come in with all these stories of evolution, right? Age dating methods and evolution and ape men and no global flood and all those types of things. And They knew it was a direct hit on the authority of the word of God. Can you trust the history of the Bible now? But many, many churches, oh, it didn't really hit the cross. But the unbelief in our culture just kind of grew and grew and grew. And many of you walk through, like I said, you know, Bible's now outlawed in schools. You can't talk about that. The unbelief keeps keeps growing and growing. You know, in the '80s, there was a lot of shifting in in in, uh, churches. Of course, you know, where hey, let's bring in like kind of a rock band in into the you know get some dry ice and get the pastor to come in on a zip line. You know, that'll whoop it up, right? We'll we'll get people then. Folks, the world can outperform us ten to one. They outfund us because they fund their agenda with our money. Do you realize you take your tax dollars? and pay them for the privilege to send them to a school where they'll teach them against your own doctrine? They don't even thank you for it. So that didn't seem to work, you know, entertainment, all that stuff. So what our ministry has been doing is telling people, look, you need to repair that Genesis foundation. You need to have answers for your faith. You need to be able to deal with these things and be able to have a calm, collected discussion with people. Because First Peter 3.15 says engage, but do so with what? Gentleness and respect. I have atheistic friends. I respect them, they respect me. And they know I believe what I believe because of certain things. And we can have discussions and we don't have to have the temperature come up. We can just go, okay, I, I know where you're coming from. And so fix that foundation. I guess the reason why we were brought in today is kind of let you know that, you know, when those attacks come, we can help you with that, (laughs) okay? And then we can get back to what we want to do, Talked about Jesus, okay?